Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Well, I double dog dare you! Was that wrong? You ought to be ashamed of yourself. How the hell is that Mike Florio's job? So what, the f*** do you know? It's a special edition of PFTPM, and joining us on this Wednesday afternoon, the general manager of the Buffalo Bills, a team that hadn't been to the playoffs for a very long time. But once Brandon B. took over in 2017, two out of three years to the postseason, entering year four, and Brandon joins us now. Good afternoon, Brandon. How's everything? That's good, Mike. You know, just uh, getting used to uh, quarantine life as we all are, the new norm. What's been the strangest part of the adjustment for you? Just, uh, you know, it's March and, you know, we're in April now, but it just it feels like where did March go? We're usually on planes, trains, automobiles, in and out of hotels from pro days to privates. And and you miss the interaction. You know, we've we've bounced to learning, learn how to use Zoom and FaceTime and all these other features that we're even using right now. But uh, uh, you do miss the the personal one on one interaction with the players, you know, up close. We're having to, you know, do it technology wise. Yeah, no pro day workouts, no private workouts, no in-person meetings, no visits from players. Which of those three things is the is the biggest one, the hardest one to lose as you prepare for picking players coming up in a couple of weeks? You know, um, you go. I go back and forth. I really miss the 30s, you know, the guys that we can bring into our facility and just uh, let, a, let a lot of people in our building touch them, so to speak, from uh, the guy who picks them up at the airport to – um, you know, your PR staff to the coaching, uh, your trainers, just, you know, one of those things I like is I spend 15, 20, maybe 30 minutes with the player, but he's there all day. And so I'll circle back with a lot of our staff and just how was their interaction with him? Was he personable? Was he professional? Was he on time? Did he communicate well to our travel staff? You know, just learning who this individual is beyond who they are in front of me or, or Sean McDermott. That's one of the things that fans don't realize and players don't realize, especially when they're early 20s, when they get in the car, right, from the airport to the facility, whoever's driving is listening, watching, paying attention to everything and will report back on how that individual behaves. And it's amazing how few of those guys are prepared to be the same guy that they're going to be when they show up in your office and, and to be that same person when in the backseat of the vehicle being chauffeured from the, the airport to the team's headquarters. No, it's fun. And and you know what I've found is sometimes the guy picking him up, uh, up at the airport or the hotel, pick up one or two other people with him and, and see who interacts with him, who doesn't even want to talk to him, you know, who's griping about their coaches from their college, uh, who's happy with their agent or not happy with their agent. Just, you know, is a certain player, is he complaining about everything or is he just appreciative of the opportunity? Those are the little things that uh, we probably will lose in this process. But, you know, and it's funny now, uh, if we ever do get back to normal, and who knows at this point, we're, we're, we're letting out some secrets. The agents are going to tell the players to act like they've been given the Miranda warnings. We're in the back, in the back of the car now. <laughs> they're going to finally realize that they're paying attention to everything that they're saying and doing. For you personally, being at home now, trying to do all of this stuff, not at the facility, not traveling, but confined to your house, what's been the hardest part of that adjustment? 
You know, um, I think the hardest thing right now is is we're doing our meetings with our scouts and uh, we're starting to include our coaches a little bit just to get their feedback. And, you know, we usually like to watch film this time of year together. If we're arguing over, you know, two or three linemen, let's say, and, you know, we're, we're not settled on it. Well, let's let's pick two games where maybe they played similar opponents or, or they went against the same defensive end or, or defensive tackle. And let's just watch them against some of the things, because these guys come from different conferences, different, uh, different playing levels. So uh, I think that's one of the things that we found, you know, you just can't do it. I cannot watch group film with everybody because it just doesn't work over the technology. So we've had to improvise as, as all 32 teams have, but at the end, Mike, I think we'll still, we'll still be fine and we'll get to the right answer. I've had some folks tell me they actually prefer being at home because you don't have to worry about people showing up in your office. You don't have to worry about noise outside of your office. You can actually focus on your work. Now, some people working at home can't get anything done because their families are everywhere that they go. What's that balance been for you being able to focus on your work but also deal with the fact that you're home with your family? Yeah, it's definitely different. Uh, I told a couple of our people in our media last week when I was talking to them, I've had, I got two high school boys, Mike, so uh, it's not that I have to worry about changing diapers or anything like that, but, um, I've never had this many lunches and dinner, you know, in the month of March or April with them, you know, usually it's only the month that we're off before training camp that you're around them this much. And, uh, so it's been fun. You know, I got one that's going to be a senior next year. So you realize, man, this, uh, I'm not gonna be able to spend this time. So I've tried to turn it into a positive, uh, from that standpoint. And, and I'm curious, Brandon, especially with a kid who's in that, that, age group and you know you, you feel a different way life is different you're you're more inclined to feel like you're invincible you're immortal you can do anything and then all of a sudden the bubble gets popped with this reality that is dropped on everyone's head it's got to be a tough adjustment for a kid it's got to be just that that cold splash of water what, what have been the challenges of trying to get him to understand that you know at a time when he's living life to the fullest or at least trying to he's got to stay home all the time yeah i think it's hard because uh, he plays football and he doesn't have a spring sport, but uh, just, you know, they do seven on sevens and you're not around your teammates. Uh, this is a time of year they can get in the weight room and lift and, and just same thing that, that our players are missing. So I think um, those are the things, you know, does he miss the schoolwork? I doubt it. Uh, they're having to do everything remote online like like we are. But uh, I, I know even though he won't admit he misses school, uh, you definitely know he misses his friends and the camaraderie like we all do, like we miss being in the workplace. Before we get much farther, I want to shine a light on the great things you're doing with the United Way in your area. Because one of the things that dawned on me last week when the news came out that the Patriots had gone through all the hoops necessary to get 1.2 million and 95 masks from China, it dawned on me. We all have a way that we can make a difference in our communities. And we can do it in different ways at different levels. But as long as we find something to do, that's the positive that comes out of it. And you found a great way to help out your community. Tell us what you have going on. Yeah. So, uh, Mike, same thing. I was trying to figure out, you know, obviously I'm not a medical worker or a frontline type person for, for something that we're dealing with, but uh, you, you figure out what donation you're comfortable making. And then beyond that, it just doesn't feel like it's enough. So, you know, with the help of Derek and my PR staff and our community relations department, you know, they came up with some ideas. And so we're going to try and give some experiences, you know, along, you know, with the draft of one of the prizes I think will be really cool for whatever lucky fan wins it. Well, they're going to be on the phone with me when we call our first selection, uh, which will be in the second round since we traded the first one. But um, that and then after the draft is over, I'm going to have a one-on-one -on -one Zoom call with, with a fan and just talk through each pick that we made, Mike, and how we came to that decision. And, 
you know, we've got a couple other things once we get back to, to norm with uh, a lucky fans going to be able to bring some guests to have lunch with me at our ad pro center. And then um, one's going to be able to come to practice. And we've got some memorabilia, Josh Allen jersey and a couple other things. And how can folks get more information about this if they want to get in on? Is it is it an auction or is it a raffle? So what it is, is all you have to do is donate. It's it's WNYresponds.org. And if you go to that website, no matter what, $5, $10, $20, if you donate $5 or you donate $500, no matter what you're able to contribute, you're in this raffle. And it's it goes, Mike, until April 17th. I look at one of the prizes on here. One of the winners gets four 100-level tickets to the Bills 2020 home opener. And I know that that's still months down the road, but from your perspective, what kind of information have you gotten? What kind of ideas do you have as to whether or not there is going to be a home opener? And if there is one, whether or not fans are going to be in attendance? Yeah, I think it's still too early, Mike. You know, we haven't been given a lot of information, you know, at our level. I think every, it's still such an unknown, as you were mentioning earlier, like, where are we on the mountain on this thing? When do we when do we get to the top and, and head back the other way? So I think right now everyone is just playing as if we're going to try and, and have a season. I think a lot of that to be determined, you know, how many games is a 16-game season? Is it less? Um, will fans be able to fill the – you know, will you be able to have 70,000? Will you be able to even have 10,000? I think all of those uh, are a lot of the unknowns, but uh, – you know, my focus has really just been on the draft, Mike, and, and, and that's coming up here in a couple of weeks. After that, I think I will start to dig in and, and see what it looks like. Let's talk about the draft. One of the concerns that I saw raised by, I believe it was Ravens coach John Harbaugh, the possibility that Zoom video conferences can be hacked, other information can be pilfered electronically. How realistic is that possibility in your estimation? Yeah, I do think it's realistic. You know, I think there's ways, you know, I learned the other day, uh, if you're using Zoom, they have waiting rooms and password protected. So I think that will help, you know, what you read in the news where some people were hacking into some of these school uh, Zoom classes and, and, and doing certain things. So I think we have to be mindful of that. You know, I've, I've already spoken with Dan Evans, our IT guy. I've already I've told Dan he's going to be the MVP of this draft uh, since it's a virtual draft at home. If, if the technology is not working, uh, we're in trouble. But Dan is researching uh, different ways and, and what is the most secure means for me to contact with my scouts, my ownership, my trainers, whoever I need to talk to. I'll tell you what, Brandon, one thing that I've been saying about that, if any team out there tries to take advantage of these unprecedented circumstances and why we're in this position to turn that into a, a way to cheat, a way to find out information that they have no business of getting and they get caught, they should get the worst punishment that the NFL ever meets out because we're in this predicament because of the greatest public health crisis of our time and if someone tries to cheat that system because of why we're here they deserve everything they get i couldn't agree more uh, you know there's no tolerance for it and uh would be totally unacceptable especially in a time like this as you said mike but nobody asked for the situation we're in to be drafting like this hey brandon there's been a lot of talk about how technical issues may or may not impact the draft and there's been reporting that if there's any type of technical difficulty for a given team hey too bad there are other ways to get the picks in but my understanding is if there's a complete and total breakdown if you if you have a generator outside your house that gets struck by lightning or whatever the case may be and you just lose power that, that the NFL isn't going to say too bad we have to keep going can you give me an understanding of what the rules will be if there is some catastrophic technological breakdown and a team like the Bills just can't get a pick in you know, Mike, they haven't explained, uh, but I know to this point, 
there is going to be some type of dry run, and I think those questions will get answered. I mean, at the end of the day, uh, I think the league has to, you know, have an option. If if all else fails, you lose your Wi-Fi, you lose your power uh, to be able to use your cell phone and call in a pick. And I think it'll be important for everyone to, you know, to have a backup plan if you do lose power, uh, you know, to have your board manually with you just in case technology does fail. And what kind of technology are we talking about? Everybody's got Wi-Fi in their house now. Is there going to be like the old hardwired internet with the Ethernet cord that plugs into your computer as a backup to the Wi-Fi? Because uh, I'm just trying to think of everything that could come up, and I think the NFL needs to be thinking about everything that could come up. And one thing is Wi-Fi goes down. You want hardwired internet as that fallback. Yeah, I think you, you do have to have something to that sort. Again, I'm not a, the most tech-savvy guy, Mike, but uh, I know my IT guy has, has been at my house uh, as much as me lately just trying to sort through what's the best options you know, and where to run cabling and things like that for these backup plans, whether it's a generator, uh, backup Wi-Fi, hardline, all the, all the things that you would need should something go wrong. How much time will you spend practicing – how this all unfolds when you're on the clock if you need information from a specific person a button to press a person to speak to just almost like a conductor of this process i assume that's what your job will be but you're going to have to get a lot of different information in real time how much of that will you rehearse and practice in advance of the draft no mike we definitely will you know i think the week of uh definitely by that monday you know our draft board will be set um, you know, we usually try and set it close to a week out, but definitely by that Monday prior to the to the start of it on Thursday, we'll be doing a lot of dry runs with everybody that's involved. Again, from the scouts to the coaches um, to my medical staff, uh, security. If I got any any questions there, just everybody involved. And, and again, obviously, my IT guy Dan Evans, uh, he's going to have to be there every step of the way. The uh... The length of the draft, it's been seven rounds, I think, since 1992 or thereabouts. Used to be 12. Before that, it was even more. Kevin Colbert reportedly suggested recently that three more rounds be added this year because of the difficulties in gathering information. Any position by you on whether or not there should be extra rounds? You know, uh, I understand Kevin's point. And and listen, Kevin's got a uh, way more seniority than I do. So um, if if he really wanted that and there was a lot of push for it, I would support it. You know, I'm operating, Mike, that, you know, it's going to be seven rounds like normal. And I think the biggest change will be, you know, used to when you're doing free agency like that um, after the after the seventh round, you've got everybody still in your draft room or at least down the hall now trying to communicate because you only have, have so many dollars that you can allocate from a bonus. And so a lot of times you got several deals going and, and once you agree to one, you got to pull out of the others. If you're chasing, you know, an offense, if you're chasing three tackles, hoping to land one. If you've offered fifteen thousand to one, and and maybe you're talking twelve thousand the other, uh, but you don't want them both. Once you get one in the boat, you got to kind of back out of the other. So it's a moving target. I think that will be, um, you know, an obstacle for all teams as we work through it remotely. And it's going to be even harder to allocate those dollars for the signing bonus for the undrafted players because you're not going to have the same level of confidence in the information, in the study, in the workup for those guys that didn't get drafted. So as much as the draft is a crapshoot, I feel like undrafted free agency is going to be even more of a crapshoot this year. Yeah, I think you're right because, you know, one of the things is is we don't have the medical, the true medical of these non-combine guys. And, um, you know, guys that maybe suffered an injury this season, uh, you know, a torn ligament, uh, a shoulder, anything like that, Mike, that uh, we haven't been able to see the player or bring them in or, or, or get, you know, our hands on them. 
uh, those would be guys that I could see potentially falling, you know, either on our boards or, or other teams' boards. And then there's the reality that the offseason programs aren't going to start. I personally think at this point there won't be any offseason programs. H- how do you get your guys ready for a season? And I know you were in Carolina the last time this happened with no offseason programs in 2011, Coach Rivera's first year. But how do you get guys ready? How do you get undrafted players ready? How do you get anybody ready if you don't have an offseason program? Yeah, it's hard. Uh, you know, they're, they're working through this now with the PA, Mike, and and you know, having virtual meetings. Maybe you can meet for two hours uh, using the same things, these Zoom technologies or Teams or whatever. Um, but the, you know, I think the real hard part, Mike, is going to be the workouts, the physical part of it. How do you, you know, train for speed? How do you do? You know, some guys live in apartments; they don't have room for, you know, even a bench, you know, to lift heavy weights. And your big, your big guys, your linemen, they need to lift weights. Those are probably the guys I worry about the most, just having, you know, the um, the accessibility to weights and, and bars and things like that. Not as much as the skills. I think the skills can get out and use bands and and find fields to run in and things like that. But uh, it's definitely not a, not an ideal scenario. And it will be a true test. You know, if we don't have an offseason program come August, let's say we do start in August. Um to see who's most prepared because in 2011 there were a decent amount of injuries, you know, Achilles came to mind and, and I believe ACLs were up that year. So uh, a lot will tell on who was truly working this time when, when it's, it's truly voluntary. When the draft begins in 15 days, you won't be making a pick in round one unless you trade back in. You've given that first round pick to the Minnesota Vikings as part of this Stephon Diggs package. What will you be doing the first round of the draft since you're not going to be on the clock? Well, I joked again, Mike, with the media the other day, we may put up some Stefan Diggs highlights or something. Just uh, <laughs> I'm looking at, at that as, as our pick because, um, you know, we talked about what would be available at 22 and and again, decided to, to trade some assets um, to move up. So, again, I'm looking like Stefan is our pick and and, we're you know, we'll, we won't be in round one, but uh, we'll be ready for round two on Friday night. Well, and Brandon, here's the point I made a couple of years ago when the Cowboys traded for Amari Cooper near the end of his rookie deal. The reality is you give up a first-round pick for a player who is a veteran and is on a second contract in Diggs' situation. I mean, you've got him for four more years, but it's relatively high salary. And at some point, he's going to want to reopen that deal and get himself a raise. What's your policy on when you will go back and redo a deal that has multiple years left, in this case, four more seasons left on the Diggs contract? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, those things, if you trade for a guy, sometimes you do make, uh, you know, an agreement uh, with a player I've I've been involved with before where you trade for him and you say, hey, we we will do something to the deal now. We'll do something to the deal in, in a year or whatever. So, again, those are discussions that, you know, we'll keep between us and the agent and the player. But, um, you know, we do think, you know, that was attractive to have Stefan under contract for four years. And that was part of, of why we made this move, uh, you know, to try and acquire him. And, and we just at the end of the day, Mike, we thought that, um, you know, with the offseason being, you know, either limited or no offseason, what we would be able to get at pick 22. Um, might have a harder time coming in helping us this year versus a proven veteran like Stefan. And from time to time, Stefan had, I don't want to say issues in Minnesota. I mean, look, every receiver wants the ball, and sometimes when they don't get the ball, they get upset. And I think the Vikings did a good job of keeping that under control. It could have been worse. We've seen other situations where it has been worse. What did you do, Brandon, to get to the point where you were comfortable that Stefan Diggs isn't going to be any type of an issue, any type of a problem in your locker room? 
Well, I mean, obviously you never really know Mike until you get him in there, but um, you know, our scout, our college scouting director, Terrence Gray, uh, was in Minnesota when they drafted Stefan and, and was around him for a year, I believe. And, and then w- we have some coaches, at least one, uh, on staff that's, that's close with, with one of Stefan's college coaches and, and knows a couple people. So we did some recon and, um, again, you know, I understand the question. I think it's fair. And, and, and you alluded to it, um, receivers want the ball and sometimes, uh, they express that and it, and it can come across in the wrong way. And, Again, we, we feel good. We think he's a very competitive young man. Uh, my understanding is he trains very hard, practices. He raises the level of competitiveness at practice, and, and I don't think you can have enough of that. And, you know, I think our culture, you know, will be good for Stefan, and, and we look forward to to bringing him in. I know Josh Allen is, has been communicating with him a lot, and those two are looking forward to uh, getting together and getting on the same page. Chris Sims and I were talking the other day about your draft needs, and we debated the status of Devin Singletary. Obviously, a guy you drafted last year allowed you to move on from LaShawn McCoy. But, you know, I look at Singletary as a potential workhorse. Sims' position is maybe it's going to be a platoon going forward, and maybe you need some some complimentary help. Well, how do you view Devin Singletary moving forward? Is he a workhorse tailback for you, or do you envision having multiple guys who will be sharing the load? You know, I think Devin can can do either or. He's an unselfish player, Mike. But I think he, if we want him to be the workload guy, I think he could definitely do it. I think year two is going to be better for him. Uh, he had the hamstring injury early in the year, which which cost him. I think if he had not missed those three or four games, uh, he really could have pushed it closer to a thousand yards. And again, I, I think he can do it. We're always looking for competition, though, too. So. Uh, if the right guy was there, uh, we wouldn't hesitate to add him. But again, if we roll in, we you know we feel good with TJ Yeldon behind him. Uh, TJ started some in this league and, and is a versatile three down back as well. Uh, so we feel very comfortable with those two, uh, you know, as we head in. You know the importance of a franchise quarterback. You had one in Carolina. You have one now, I believe, in Josh Allen, and he's only going to get better and better. Cam Newton's been available for the last 15 days or so. How surprised are you? that the 2015 NFL MVP, one of the best quarterbacks in football when healthy, is just out there. And there's been no one linked to him in the two weeks since he's been a free agent. Yeah, it's it's not something I would have never seen. I don't know if it's – I think it's partly due to the situation we're in, in a, as our country because um, he's had you know two years where he, he wasn't fully healthy and, and missed pretty much all of last year. I think there is some concern there. And you know I think Cam sometimes can be a little misunderstood. Uh, but I'm a Cam Newton fan, Mike, and and uh, I hope that uh, I, I believe he's earned the right with what you mentioned. He's an MVP, and and again, I probably wouldn't be sitting in this seat if it wasn't for Cam Newton and, and the success we had in Carolina. That's how you you end up in in head coaches or, or GM positions. So uh, very appreciative of Cam, and and I do think in the end, you know, sounds like maybe they're waiting till after the draft to see where some of these quarterbacks land um, to give him a shot to to start and. I think he's going to come back with a chip on his shoulder. Assuming he's healthy, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he's if he's not starting for somebody in, in 2020. And if I'm a GM with another team and I'm trying to figure out what to do with Cam Newton and, and, and I've determined he's healthy, we've done the physical, right? But I'm concerned about his ability to stay healthy. If I call you up and I say, hey, Brandon, g- give me a sense. Should I be worried with all the injuries we've seen from Cam Newton over the years, his playing style, you know, very physical? Should I be worried, even if he's 100% right now, that he's not going to stay 100% for long? No, I mean, I think at the end of the day, I think Cam has adjusted his style. I don't think he, he even before he, he injured, you know, the shoulder and all that, I don't think he was running as much as he was in, 
you know, 13, 14, and 15. I think, you know, my last year in Carolina was 16. And, you know, he got hit a couple times early in that season in the Denver game. And, you know, he, he stopped running as much, at least it seemed to me that he did. So I think Cam, again, I think he, he will adjust his style. And and I think he just needs, a, you know, a chance. I think, honestly, Mike, the kid, you know, he'll, he's got a chip on his shoulder. Uh, I think he just needs an opportunity. You, you've said that the Patriots are still the team to beat in the AFC East, and I understand that. But there are a lot of people who disagree, and they think the pendulum is swinging to the Buffalo Bills. How big of a challenge? I mean, and look, I know we got a long way to go before we're thinking about games, and there's so much to do between now and then. But how, how do you process that as an organization? How do you balance this reality that there's going to be a lot of people that look at the Buffalo Bills and say, now's their time to take that next step and really take over this division? Yeah, it's a good question. I understand it, but you know, I think off seasons and and things like that are you know are one on paper. They don't mean anything. Uh, just like our ten wins, Mike, last year. You know, last year is in the past. You know, this is a new season. Uh, once it happens, a new team, and until you knock off the champ, uh, you're not the champ. And I know Miami and, and the Jets will be thinking the same as us. Somebody's got to try and chase the Patriots. Uh, and again, Bill Belichick is still there. And this guy won, you know, that team in 2008 won 11 games with Matt Castle, you know, who really didn't have any success anywhere else, you know, but that season. So, you know, they're going to he's going to, you know, figure it out who who his quarterback is. They're going to play sound defense. They've got a lot of players there. I just I, I find it, you know, as I said last week, I find it comical that people are writing them off. I understand on paper what things look like, but until somebody beats the Patriots, they're the champs. And look, for every team except the team that wins the Super Bowl, the last game of the season is a disappointment. Your disappointment came in the wild card round. And I want to spin this into a positive. Based upon your review of the game against the Texans, what comes out of there to you? What stands out as the thing that you could take to Josh Allen and say, here's what we can use as the impetus for taking your game to the next level? Yeah, I mean, I think the one thing that that I look at is, if you're when your season ends early, unless you're holding up the trophy, uh, you know, especially if you make the playoffs, usually how you lose that game in the playoffs usually is is an indicator of what your issues were during the season. And our issues, Mike, were we just we couldn't consistently score enough points. And you know, we looked at wide receivers uh, at the trade deadline. We weren't able to you know agree on a deal or anything like that. But I just felt like we still needed someone opposite John Brown and Cole Beasley, and hence the move for Diggs. Um, but I think that will help Josh. You know, I think late in that game, uh, Josh probably tried to do too much at times. And, and that's what you love about him. He's a competitor. He is not afraid, uh, you know, to have the ball in his hands, you know, at key moments. And, and, and so I'm not upset at Josh Allen at all. I think he was just trying to do too much at times. And again, we settled for field goals too often in that game where we should have got touchdowns. And, and I think another weapon like, you know, Stefan Diggs and, and, you know, any other pieces that we're able to add will only help our offense going forward. Hey, Brandon, I appreciate so much of your time. I know you got a lot to do. We wish you all the best as the draft approaches. And if you're bored the first night, give me a call. I'll just be hanging out, drinking a beer, watching it just like you the first night of the draft. Uh, congratulations on the success so far on the Stefan Diggs trade. We're big fans of Stefan, and we think you got a great one there. And uh, we hope to talk to you again down the road. Thanks, Mike. Uh, keep your family safe. And that was Brandon Bean, Bill's general manager. We appreciate his time, and we appreciate your time as we continue to work through this crazy reality that we're all trying to endure together. And follow Brandon's lead and, and find something that you can do 
in your community. However small it may seem to you, it is something. And I think that's how we're going to make a difference in this. Not with people doing gigantic things, but with everyone doing some little thing that does make a difference one day at a time, one hour at a time, one moment at a time, something that you can do to make life a little bit better for the people that are in your community, the people that are in your sphere of influence. I think that's the way to really make a major impact. So kudos to Brandon for what he's doing and everyone else who's doing what they can to make a difference. We will be back on Thursday with a new edition of PFT Live and most likely another PFT OT PFT PM where Sims and I answer some questions. We'll see how tomorrow plays out and you can find out everything that's going on in the National Football League around the clock at ProFootballTalk.com. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.